With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family at Direct at gmail.com, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. I just want to say Happy New Year to you, to the listeners, our wonderful listeners. We're very early on into 2021, but already it's starting to feel like a a little bit of a different, knock on wood, a little bit of a different year. And uh, a lot of optimism, a lot of motivation, and a lot of ambition entering this year. Feels good. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Lance, and Happy New Year to you, too, and to our listeners as well. I completely agree. We're starting off this year with a story, a case of a missing person named Archer Ray Johnson, and this is episode two, and Archer Ray Johnson went missing from Brooklyn, Washington on April 1st, 1986, and of course, Lance, this came to us by way of the private investigations for the missing case file. Tell us a little bit about Private Investigations for the Missing. For those of you who do not know, Private Investigations for the Missing is a nonprofit charity organization that was founded by Bruce Maitland, Brianna Maitland's father. Tim and I are fortunate enough to be on the board of this organization. And the primary mission for PIs for the Missing is to help families locate their loved ones when police, law enforcement, other private investigators have exhausted their resources. So again, primarily this is to raise funds for families to hire private investigators in their area to look for loved ones. Now we have to start somewhere. The information for these missing persons comes to us pretty much through social media and our email, and it's vetted by a team led by Jennifer Amell, who is part of this episode today. And a lot of that communication, a lot of that relationship nurturing is done through Michelle Kazuba, who is very active behind the scenes, as well as Jillian Kuzma and Bruce Maitland himself. The first step towards raising the profile, raising visibility for these missing people is the podcast. So long explanation long, 
What you're hearing now is the first step to raising the visibility. If you have any information about any of these missing people, we always provide the proper contact information in the show notes or during the episode. Today happens to be Archer Ray Johnson. That's right. And this is episode two. And uh, we were reached out to by Archer's daughter, Nikki, and his granddaughter, Taylor. And uh, so we hope to have them on in a future episode to uh, discuss this missing persons case, very mysterious missing persons case. And if anyone has any information on Archer Ray Johnson, he's been missing since April 1st of 1986. He would be 77 as of today. Please contact the Grays Harbor County Sheriff's Office at 360-249-3711. Okay, everybody, thanks a lot for listening. Don't forget to go to investigationsforthemissing.org and follow their social pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you. Okay, that brings us to the next day, April 2nd, 1986. Pat leaves home at about 6.30 a.m. to go back to the site where Archer's truck was abandoned, only to find out that search and rescue efforts had not even yet been launched that day. And the detective asks the question in his notes, did she drive down the spur? Jen, you mentioned the spur earlier in here. That's kind of like a little pull-off? Yeah, yeah, it's a little, like kind of section in the road or a clearing that a vehicle could potentially go down or you could walk on foot down toward the wood line. Okay, and that was close to where his truck uh, was found? Right next to it, yeah. Ah, okay. It makes you wonder why he didn't park there. Indeed. Yeah, okay. And the detective was referring to Pat when he said, did she drive down the spur? Yeah, I believe so. Um, He, this detective had made a timeline from all of the witness statements, and this is in his own handwriting, so it was a little bit dicey trying to decipher some of it. But I'm assuming this was like a margin note, and it was near Pat like going to see if they had started the search yet, and I think that his note was referring to Pat. Did she drive down the spur when she went to park at that area? Right, and is there an answer in the police notes? There is not. Okay, well, I think I do think that's kind of interesting, too, because I wonder if the detective is asking because of tire tracks that, that he or she saw down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they do note that later in the report that there were tire tracks down this spur, but I don't think they ever definitively matched it to Archer's truck. I'm not sure they got a make or model on the tire tracks. How far off the road is the spur? How Do you know, like, how long this is? It's... Because I'm imagining like a pull-off and doesn't really go that far into any wilderness or that far off the road. No, it would be pretty shallow. I'm not... Pretty shallow. Yeah, I'm okay. not totally sure how, how long the spur was, but it would just be like probably maybe a car length or two. It would have to be long enough for somebody to refer to it as down the spur. Yeah. You know, it it would have to be like somehow long enough where some driving would happen. So maybe a couple of car lengths. Yeah, I did <laughs> I did try to look on Google Maps to pinpoint exactly where the truck might have been, but like Google Maps stops like right below the crest of the hill that he disappeared on. Like it just doesn't have a map. <laughs> it did because it's a dirt road, it doesn't it didn't go down there. Google's in on it. <laughs> Switch to Bing, everyone. Been saying it for years. <laughs> Bing saying it. Okay, so then Pat goes to Earl and Rosa at around 8 a.m. So they did, they weren't just there. She had to go to them. Yeah, they didn't arrive. I mean, granted, it was pretty early, I suppose. I mean, it is pretty early, but the previous day, Archer was up at 6 a.m. and then they went to work. I think people like this get up early. I think they they get up early and they're out to do what they need to do for the day. Uh, not to mention your brother's missing. So I would put that as a priority for me. Yeah. Yeah, it is definitely a bit strange that Earl wasn't out there already or they didn't have plans to meet at the search area. 
Okay, Jen, and you have a coordinator's report. So this is directly from the report. Someone named W.J. Stocks was assigned to Archer's case. It's from April 2nd, 1986. The vehicle had already been removed by family and the area contaminated as far as clue location for search crews by efforts made by the family and friends to locate Archer on the 1st and the early morning hours of the 2nd. Search crews were dispatched in a containment effort of the area that is patrolling all the roadways on foot and in vehicles. People that are track aware attempting to locate any signs of persons leaving the roadway or walking along the roadway in an effort to obtain a clue as to the direction of travel taken by the missing person. At this point in time, the situation was being handled as a semi-priority as the subject was known to be in good health and there was no reason for him to be overdue physically or health-wise and the subject was extremely familiar with the area. Yes, that that's just like a little um, snippet from the search coordinator's report. This is just to say that they were pretty thorough on a multiple-day search. Okay, and then detectives did find tire tracks on the spur near uh, near where Archer's car was allegedly abandoned. And, of course, you use allegedly in here because it, it, we're, at this point we're just going off of Earl's word, Earl and Rosa, and, and that's as noted in the coordinator's report. Yeah, totally. And, like, these tracks become important because... I mean, they may or may not be Archer's tire tracks. We're, we're not totally sure about that, as we noted earlier. But when detectives asked Earl about these tire tracks, he, upon first interview, denied any knowledge of the spur. Second interview told detectives that Arch had said he drove down the spur to pick up some wood that he found near the spur. And then in a third interview, he denied saying that Arch had driven down the spur. So we have a track record of him changing his story multiple times. Okay, yeah. Well, how would he know if Archer drove down the spur or not? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, um, I don't know how Archer would indicate that that was the spot. He's like, around mile 16 on Brooklyn Road, there's a spur. I don't know. I don't know how you would, how Earl would um, determine, even if Arch had mentioned this spur, like, why would he think it was that specific spur going off the road? Yeah, this is, uh, to recap, this is very interesting. So there's the spur that's there near where Archer's truck was found. There's tire tracks there. Earl denies any knowledge of the spur in the first interview. Second interview says, no, Archer told me that he went down the spur to pick up some wood. And then later says he did not say that Archer had driven down the spur sort of backtracking a little bit, leaving the door open for detectives to maybe make a conclusion that Archer could have driven down the spur. So I guess our conclusion here is that those tire tracks were from Archer's truck. I don't think there is any conclusion that the tire tracks were from Archer's truck or not. I feel like if there was anything in the police records, you would have seen it where they say Earl did you drive down the spur because those tire tracks match a, a Chevy Nova? They made that note wondering if Pat had driven there. Did she go down the spur? Because maybe she might have had access to Archer's truck at some point. I really don't think that it does point to the fact that it is Archer's truck. I think they found a pair of tracks and it was the only sign of life where the truck was allegedly abandoned. Um, so I think they were curious about the tire tracks and if they did belong to the truck. But I really don't think that they had matched the tire tracks because there was like absolutely no mention of that. And like, why would they think Pat had driven there? I think it was referring to her arriving there like the morning after the disappearance in her own car. Like, had she driven down the spur that morning? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think it's I think it's fair to say that the well yeah and i think my determination about this statement here is that earl is definitely lying about 
knowledge of the spur. So there's three things he said. He denied any knowledge of the spur. He told detectives that Archer had driven down the spur to pick up some wood. And then he later denied, he said, Archer had driven down the spur. So two and three automatically conflict. Um, and then, but, but also if one of those are true, two or three, that would mean number one conflicts too, because he's talking about the spur in parts two and three. So he's lying in two of the statements. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think like the most important thing you can glean from the tire tracks is that Earl's lying about them. Okay. And then the next day, April 3rd, 1986, they conducted another search. And those searchers only had anecdotal info about what type of shoes Archer was wearing. The team did find a trail made by rubber boots that they followed to the Gates Line Logging Road, which intersects with Brooklyn Road at the A-Line. What, what does that mean? What's the A-Line? Um, so, like, this area, uh, Brooklyn Road intersects another. It's not an actual road that you would drive down as a as a resident of the area, but, like, a clearing that's made for vehicles to like go into the wood and log um, different sections of the forest there. So Brooklyn Road um, forms a sort of A with this logging road. So the tracks would cut across um, this forested area to the logging road. And the, the forested area was typically traversed by human beings because that was like sort of en route to the logging area. Yeah, they're they're not totally sure that those prints were arches either. Same thing with the tire tracks. It's not a paved area. It's not a paved path to the other side. So you could assume that it would get muddy there in the rain and maybe some, you know, elements. Uh, so rubber boot prints probably aren't that uncommon there. Yeah, and I think like my belief from just reading the description of the search report is that the boot trail had gone through like a forested area, like a, a wilderness type area where there was not a path to connect between Brooklyn Road and this logging road. So they would have been squishing through uh, a bunch of overgrowth and undergrowth, and I'm assuming mud as well, if they were able to track it like that i just have one more comment about this i'm curious about the use of the word anecdotal that they only had anecdotal information about what type of shoes archer was wearing is that based on people saying archer always wore work boots or something yeah so they asked his family members what kind of shoes he would wear like is it possible he would be wearing rubber boots and i'm sure they're like yeah it's possible but nobody like remembers definitively what footwear arch was wearing on the day of his disappearance okay but on that day they found a bandana in the drainage area and uh, dogs were given a scent item from archer's house and they hit on the bandana so that bandana actually did belong to archer yeah this was something that belonged to archer and he i think wore or used it as a decoration during his most recent wedding to uh, Pat. But this raises my hackles as well, because this area had been pretty thoroughly searched the day before, and the bandana was not found. Um, so that leaves it open to like somebody potentially planting the bandana after the fact. Can you paint a quick picture of this drainage area if you have an idea of what it looks like? Was it one of those larger ones that you see on the side of the road or was it something like uh, like a drain pipe or something? So I'm not exactly sure from the notes where this drainage area was, if it was near the logging road or if it was next to Brooklyn Road. But I imagine it would be like that little trench that they dig for like water runoff uh, on, on some kind of road like that. But yeah, I'm not, not exactly sure where the bandana was found. Okay, and dumb question, um, because the bandana wasn't there on earlier, earlier searches, but uh, my dumb question is, are we sure that the bandana wasn't the scent item that the dogs were given? Yeah, um, okay. the the search report explicitly states that they were given a separate scent item from Archer's house to determine if the bandana belonged to Archer. Great, okay. 
and uh, the bloodhound handler, Harry Anderson, uh, was quoted as saying, I don't have any doubt in my mind that if he was there dead, we'd have found him. So they did a couple dog searches, actually, during the first dog search. Um, So the dogs picked up a scent near where the truck was found and followed it down Brooklyn Road toward Oakville. And the handlers sort of chalk this up to Archer's scent being blown from the truck as he drives down this road. Not necessarily that he stopped at that area and, like, got out of the car or whatever. Okay, and they they said that his uh, truck made for a distinct trail because it was loaded with firewood. Yeah, exactly. Kind of interesting. Yeah, I never really thought of that. Okay, so they did not find Archer's track near the truck dump site. Yeah, they, the dogs did not hit on a specific scent or a trail near the truck abandonment site. Well, that's really peculiar, yeah. Indeed, it's almost like he was never there. It's almost as if the truck wasn't there. I mean, the truck might have been, but Archer wasn't. Interesting. Okay, and there, you said there were a couple of dog searches? Yeah, there was a second one after the bandana was found. So the dogs caught a scent... Uh, caught a scent of Archer heading back toward Brooklyn, where Earl lived. But it wasn't near where Earl had said the truck was, but roughly like a quarter mile away. Okay, a quarter mile, I guess, in dog sniff terms, sounds like it's further than it really is. <laughs> um, because you could you could kind of run a, a quarter mile pretty quickly, but if a dog is sniffing, that that is kind of significant. Yeah, because a dog can like pinpoint pretty accurately. Like within inches of where somebody used to be, rather than it's not like they, um, the dogs like caught some vague scent of Archer and they only picked it up a quarter mile away. Like he would have to have been a quarter mile away. Was this anywhere around the spur? Mm, I don't think so because the spur was close to where the truck was abandoned. Um, and this was a quarter mile away from that. Okay. And then about six weeks later, Earl told the Olympian in an article that this worried him because he thought someone else might have moved Archer's truck. Yeah, like in between. I, I mean, according to his statement, there was plenty of time for someone to have moved the truck. But according to his own statement, again, he saw the truck in the same area where he had seen it in the morning. So I don't know what he's talking about here. And how far behind Archer was Earl anyway? Like how how much time would would there have been for some random person in town to have seen Archer and decided he wanted to make Archer go missing and then stage his truck? It's like 15, 20 minutes, right? Yeah, it sounds like a f- uh, high school physics problem. <laughs> I was never uh, great at those kinds of questions, Jen, but we're we're saying about 15 minutes or so? Yeah, he was 10 to 15 minutes behind Archer. Okay. My my eyes are starting to roll now. (laughs) I can hear them. (laughs) They're rolling so hard, I can hear them. Uh, That's an interesting thing to tell a newspaper. Uh, The Olympian is a, a newspaper local to that area. It's interesting um, that that is now the perception that's out there. It's not part of the investigation. It's part of what the public is perceiving of Earl. Right, right. You're saying something different. Earl's saying something different to the media, and he's saying something different to the police. Yeah. Yeah, that's precisely why I found that notable, that the police report doesn't reflect this. Um, This was merely an article that the family had sent me on the case. Um, where Earl tells this to the newspaper. So I thought that was notable, yeah. Interesting. What are your thoughts on the keys being in the ignition and there being two people in the car, Earl and and uh, Rosa, and neither one of them moves the truck a little bit off the road when they first see it? Yeah, I mean, they ended up moving it. They just waited a bunch of hours to do so. Yeah, like they don't deny moving the truck because obviously it ended up back at Earl's house. Well, they moved it later, right? Yeah. Okay, but they left it haphazardly on the road the first time. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't move it then. I guess 
if if we are to believe their story, I guess they believed Arch was just like putzing around the woods for a few minutes and we'd be back to his truck. So they just shut the door. Totally possible, I guess, based on what he does, right? He feels bark and, and such. So, I mean, I'm sure he spends a lot of time in the woods. And so that was the end of the search efforts. They were terminated on April 3rd, two days after Archer went missing. I find this weird. That they terminated searches? Yeah, so early. Well, I two two days of searching. Um, they they said that they were semi. Uh, you know, it was a semi priority because of Archer's state, um, and it doesn't sound like they were getting much help from Earl or Rosa. To be honest, it sounds like they might have known that they were uh, being deceptive. Because how if they weren't if they were telling the truth completely, I don't think this would be a mystery. Yeah, I agree. I agree that they, at the very least, have more information about Archer's movements that day. It's interesting tactic if they might have thought that Earl and Rosa had something to do with it. I mean, why could you could you officially terminate the search but unofficially behind the scenes keep a search going? Mm, I don't know how you would hide a search like a ground search. An investigation, I'm sure they kept uh going for some to to some degree, but uh, yeah, I guess not physical searches. Yeah, and and like reading through all of the notes and statements and stuff from the police department, it really didn't seem like Earl or Rosa were on their radar uh, as far as being suspects. I think they took them at face value and were like thoroughly investigating other leads. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Okay, well, let's talk about those other leads and some of the theories in this case. Obviously, in any missing persons case, when you can't tell if there's been a crime committed or not, um, it's considered that the missing person might have walked away from his or her life. And uh, that was one of the theories here, that he that Archer might have staged the truck himself. And then walked away? It's kind of ruled out really quickly, though, because the dogs say he wasn't even at the car where the car was left. Yeah, um, something that just occurred to me right now and not when I was writing this section, but um, it is possible that Earl could have helped his brother if he wanted to stage a disappearance and he abandoned the truck. That would fit in with the whole Jameson timeline, too, if like Earl did help his brother out and leave the truck there on the road. And then Archer left for another life. But I don't think law enforcement really gives too much credence to this idea. And the family certainly doesn't think that Archer would ever leave his family. Uh, Yeah. Where would Earl bring him? A bus stop? Maybe he went to live as a hermit. Maybe he just walked into the woods and lived, lived as a hermit for a little while. I mean, I think, I, yeah, I think I actually think the the walked away from his life is probably the second most likely thing that happened, you know, because I, I do think I do find Earl and uh, Rosa's statements to be suspicious. Um, so, yeah, like, like we're saying, I think I think if they if they were completely honest, I think this wouldn't be a mystery. So maybe that's true uh, that he could have walked away. Yeah, totally. I mean, that would also kind of drive with Earl's later behavior during the investigation as well he was like conducting his own investigation on the side like questioning people and getting phone calls from random people we'll we'll discuss it but and he told the police explicitly that he was in fear of his life earl yeah from who he wouldn't mention anybody specific it's just like he floated some like half-baked theory that somebody had mistaken Archer and abducted him instead of Earl. Okay. <laughs> but he didn't elaborate on, like, why someone would want to abduct him. 
either. It, they they must have mistaken me. Like, who's they? This random, uh, elusive they. And as far as I can tell, based on what you've put together, he didn't have any significant threats prior to that, right? Like, there was no uh, letters being mailed to him or anything like that? Yeah, no, not, not, nothing that he mentioned to police or that they were able to uncover. But again, the, like, Earl really wasn't on their radar, it seemed. Well, that's odd. And uh, so, but but Earl did have his ear to the ground, sort of. It sounded like he was hearing a lot of town rumors, huh? He heard one about a drunk driver that could have hit Archer driving from Brooklyn Tavern, and uh, we, which is very close to where they were. Um, but again, that's early in the morning, too. Indeed. And so what other local gossip was there? There was one theory that was floated around, and it was mentioned by the journalist who was covering this case in the Chinook Observer, um, but that Archer had been what's called stumped. Have you guys ever heard of that term? No. It is, I guess, a backwoods way of hiding a body in which you uproot a tree, put the body under the roots so that the roots continue growing over the body, thus obscuring it forever. So the you push the tree over to some degree and then and then push it back and then it continues growing. Okay, I didn't. I wouldn't have imagined that would work uh, quite the same. But yeah, apparently it's a thing either of folklore or it's been done before. I'm not sure, but I will note that the area around where the truck was allegedly abandoned has been heavily, heavily logged since '86. So I don't know how many miles up and down that road, um, but just looking on Google Maps, it seems like kind of barren around where the, where the road is. So if he was, like, abducted and killed in that area and then stumped, like, they would have either found a body out in the woods or found it under a tree. I feel like this piece of gossip is almost indicative of the 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 citizens there the people of the area uh people who do a lot of logging i'm sure that method of hiding a body was known and probably at a bar or somewhere where people are you know eating lunch together or something they start talking about that guy archer who went missing someone probably said it wouldn't surprise me if he got stumped you know and that's probably the uh genesis of a, of a rumor like that yeah that just seems like a gruesome thing that might travel through gossip yeah i could see that and uh so tell us a little bit more about this feud with the neighbor fred and this is all according to earl yeah so we mentioned earlier in the first episode that the johnsons specifically earl and archer had a feud going on with this guy fred march who owned some property abutting earl's property or like in that general vicinity and often the brothers would trespass on fred march's property and he got tired of it so tired of it in fact that he uh, filed charges against archer specifically because i think archer had shown him like a little bit of lip uh they got into arguments quite frequently um and he did drag archer to court but as we mentioned before he was archer was acquitted um of trespassing and uh, I don't think so. So the detectives spent a long time investigating Fred March. There was a rumor that Archer's body was in a well on uh, Fred March's property, and Earl was one of the biggest proponents of Fred March being involved in his brother's disappearance. But the uh, the detectives searched uh, a lot of Fred March's property. They searched a well. They searched um, what's called a Quonset hut on his property it's like a kind of a temporary structure that you would use to like house tractors or cars or you know machinery of that type um and they found nothing whatsoever to connect fred with archer's disappearance is uh is fred still around or is there any members of the march family um fred is not around he has a son 
that I tried to reach out to. There was a lot of talk in the detective's notes that um, Fred March was like a quote-unquote paramilitary type. Like, he was just kind of sketchy. He like had a bunch of guns and stuff, but they accounted for all his guns. Like, nothing was amiss. There was nothing, nothing that made them, you know, nothing that was noteworthy as far as the police report. It sounds like he let them search and everything like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he um, he actually provided contact information because he was about to go to work on a fishing boat in Alaska. But he was like, "If you need to reach me, like this is where I'll be." So it seemed like Fred March had nothing to hide. Isn't it funny the uh, difference between people who may have something to hide and their behavior, and someone who doesn't have anything to hide and their behavior, where they say, "Yes, please search my property." I'm, by the way, going to Alaska. Here's how you can contact me if you need anything. As opposed to uh, three different versions of something that would just seemingly be a simple uh, answer. Like, do you know about this spur? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When compared to Earl's statements, it seems like Earl's very convoluted whereas fred march is like no i didn't have anything to do it do with it you're welcome to search anything you want and on the same token like fred wasn't you know shy about saying that he didn't like the johnsons that you know they he had trouble with them a lot yeah well he can't really lie about that there's court records and uh but earl continued until his dying day perpetuating the story that fred had uh something to do with archer's disappearance huh um, yeah, Earl Earl um, maintained that Fred March had something to do with his brother's disappearance for all of his life. Okay, and then there was a mysterious encounter at a restaurant bar called The Beehive. And there was a woman named Sue who contacted the Johnson family with a story told to her by a strange man at the bar. This is already sounding like a spooky development. It sounds like a David Lynch movie. Right, at The Beehive loud jazz playing strange man walks in so what happened at the black i mean the beehive sue was unaware of the day but police believe that it could have been between april 1st and april 7th but sue was drinking at the beehive restaurant when she met a man who claimed to have known archer he said he got into a fight with archer a few weeks before then he had his friends wait for Archer 12 miles down Brooklyn Road, intercept him, kill him, and bury his body. He laughed and said searchers would never find him. And then Sue admitted to taking this man home with her that night. Uh, she doesn't recall his name. She uh, described him as being between his 30s and 40s, between 5'9 and 5'11, medium build with a beer gut, Dishwater blonde hair that was balding, sideburns, a shadow where he may have recently had a large beard and mustache. And he mentioned working as a machinist for Boeing and uh, who was also involved with drug running in the Brooklyn Oakville area. So that's that's a whole lot of story that he's he's bringing. Yeah. Um, So who's Sue? So, yeah, Sue just like inserts herself into this whole story she didn't go to the police first with this story she wanted to find earl first and tell him the story i mean first of all this strange man with blonde hair and a beer gut uh is certainly sharing a lot (laughs) with a stranger like i run drugs i killed somebody (laughs) that's a good point yeah that's a bit bizarre not not completely unheard of but yeah no if they were drinking and he was trying to like impress her in some weird way i guess it's not too far-fetched and earl and sue met up and that was also at a bar and they uh so they talked about what what happened Uh, apparently they talked about what sue had witnessed and uh but they they proceeded to get fall down drunk so sue described earl as being angry and unwilling to believe her story that arch could have anything to do with drug running yeah earl i guess maintained that arch would never be involved with something like that but his behavior as described by sue to police who did track her down that he arrived angry and like kind of unwilling to hear her out but then they just like got super drunk and she noted in her witness statement that Earl was, like, unable to even stand up after they were 
finished speaking with one another. Okay, so Sue actually does exist because the police tracked her down. Does the man, the strange man exist? Did they ever find out who this person was? So they interviewed, I think, three or four, not entirely certain, people who fit this description, roughly. Um, all of which turned out to be dead ends. So they, they never found this person that Sue uh, had the story about. But I'm kind of suspect of this woman, Sue, a bit. I mean, not only did she have, like, a drunken conversation with somebody who was, like, trying to sleep with her, so he could have said anything, I don't know. Um, But she also, as noted in the police report, she she also um, had admitted to having information about an entirely unconnected missing persons case out of Aberdeen, Washington. So it seems like maybe she's just a person who likes to insert herself into cases. Right. The the options there would be uh, she... She did it, right? She had something to do with with Archer's disappearance, and maybe the, maybe another one, or she's just kind of maybe a little bit of an inserter. Yeah, I would say the inserter one sounds more likely. Mm-hmm. Okay, and another theory is that Earl killed Archer and hid his body on his girlfriend Rosa's property in Brooklyn, Washington. Yeah, this seems to be the one that Nikki and her daughter Taylor think holds the most water because i mean as we discussed here um earl's statement about what happened that day on april 1st just doesn't really match up so i think the suspicion as far as the family is concerned is on their own family member unfortunately back on earl in a conversation with nikki she said that she thinks it's most likely that uh, arch went over to earl's house and the two started day drinking together like probably pretty early in the morning and then got into an argument about what we don't know. Uh, but maybe Earl lost his temper and killed him. Had they had a history before of uh, fighting with each other when they were drunk? I know that they both had bad temperaments when they got drunk, but were they um, inclined to fight with one another? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the whole family, at least the brothers of the, like the Johnson brothers had um, a history of fighting with one another. Betty, Archer's ex-wife, she she knew the family a fair amount and said that the brothers, quote, had a bad influence on each other. And what about Rosa? Is she still around? No, she passed away. And her property is uh, quite large, huh? 73 acres? Yeah, it's huge. Wow. Okay, so do you know who owns it now? Uh, yeah, it's it's owned by a new couple now. I know the property had initially passed on to Rosa's son, but and he's still around but uh, he sold the property to this new couple. And are there areas on the 73 acres that you know of which are accessible uh, by something other than a car or maybe even accessible by a car and then you would get onto a um, like a tractor or a four-wheeler or something? Um, yeah, so I had a conversation with a journalist who was covering this case, and in his conversations with I'm not sure who, but somebody local to the area um, said that Earl had said, no one better look under the tractor. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that comment. You said that it was a a journalist who covered the case. Where did he hear that? I don't know. Okay. Was that in a newspaper or something? No, it wasn't in in the newspaper. This was like... uh, via my conversation with this journalist. He's, he said it verbally. He said that Earl said no one better look under the tractor. Yeah, I don't, I don't okay. know. Okay, <laughs> so it could be rumor. Okay, interesting, though. And then, Jen, you did a FOIA request and uh, got some information back, yeah? Yeah, uh, it wasn't my personal FOIA request. It was a request made by uh, Nikki and Taylor. Um, they had initially requested information from the Grays Harbor Sheriff's Department who was lead on the case, but then I think it occurred to them to reach out to the Pacific County PD uh, for information as well. And it re- they returned back a single document that was extremely interesting because it was never anything that uh, Nikki or Taylor or anybody had heard before. So apparently a witness came forward who was named in the document, but I won't name them here, had received information through hearsay. So somebody heard this information and then related it to the witness who then 
went to the police with this information. Um, but they heard that Archer had died that day while at Earl and Rose's property, but there was no mention of how he died, um, if it was murder or an accident. And then, according to this witness, Rosa, Rosa's son, and Edie Pringle, the neighbor, disposed of Archer's body in a well on Rosa's property. And as far as we know, to this day, Rosa Buterak's property has never been searched, nor has the well in question. The what? The well has never been searched, and this was a witness statement to police. This was made in the early 90s. It was like a few years after Archer went missing. But to my knowledge, the police never searched that property. And it actually came to a different county. It came to Pacific County, and the investigating agency is Gray's Harbor. So maybe that's actually a communication issue. And may, I mean, I guess it's possible Gray's Harbor never even heard about that. That's, yeah, that's what I thought initially, too. But there is a tiny note at the bottom of this report that said, like, information was given to G-H-S-O, which oh, great. I'm, I'm assuming means Grace Harbor Sheriff's Office. Okay, and then, so we still don't know if it was searched, or you know that it wasn't searched? I'm pretty sure it was not searched. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think there, there just, like, wasn't any traction on this case. I'm not sure if they like had no reason to believe this witness or if it wasn't enough to get a warrant to search the property. I'm not sure what the reasons were for, for not searching it. You've seen this uh, FOIA? Yeah. You've seen the statement? Yeah. There's an address for this uh, this well location? Uh, it just says on the Buterak property. But I'm assuming if if this couple that owns the property now is so nice and amenable, then they would perhaps consent without a warrant to search this property. That would be great. I I agree. I think if it's uh, even simply searching that well, that's an afternoon of, of searching really could put an end to a, a decades long mystery. Yeah, totally. I think there is definitely room for movement in this case. Rose's property, Rose's old property, is is pretty large. I mean, it's not saying if you search the well and he wasn't there that he wasn't elsewhere on the property. But I think there needs to be some kind of uh, action taken on this information. It's strange because this witness's statement implicates Rosa, her son, and Edie, but not Earl. That's a good observation, Jen. That's pretty interesting. Do you know if Earl had any physical uh, damage to himself afterward? Was there any report that he might have had like a black eye or, you know, a, a bruise or something? Not that I know of. Um, there's nothing in the police report about, you know, any physical injuries that Earl had sustained. Um, the only thing of note that I learned from Betty, Archer's ex-wife, um, is that after previously like previously the relationship between Betty and Earl was like pretty estranged they didn't really talk to each other they didn't have a strong relationship but after Archer's disappearance Earl repeatedly went to Betty and asked her if she needed anything if you know it was like being very um overly friendly and interested in her life and if she was getting by okay without Archer which I thought was strange because Betty was no longer married (laughs) To Archer. I mean, she did have a daughter by him, so perhaps that was his intention to, like, look after uh, Nikki. Um, But apparently when Earl, later in his life, he was in the hospital in palliative care, Betty had every intention of going to visit Earl on his deathbed, hoping for some kind of confession to the fact. These were her words. On her way to the hospital... Earl passed away. So he never said anything. I asked if he maybe would have left a letter or something in his will or any information and, and she didn't know, but Wow. And and who was that? Who said that? That was Betty. That was Betty, okay. And um would Nikki or Taylor or even perhaps Betty uh speak with us on the show? Yeah, absolutely. Um definitely Nikki and Taylor are very excited to come on the show and share some of their experiences trying to solve this 
34-year-old case to find their missing loved one. Well, that's great. Thank you to, to Nikki and Taylor for uh, putting yourselves out there and, uh, and your family uh, out there as well in, uh, in an, an effort to try and find Archer. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think this is definitely a solvable case in terms of like maybe not knowing exactly what happened to Archer, but recovering his remains, which would in turn give the family some closure. So I think it's incumbent upon us and all of our friends of the show to maybe put some pressure on law, law enforcement to open this case back up. Yeah, it's a, that's a good call, and we obviously have uh the an invite an open invite for them to come on the show and and talk about this because on the when when we're reading this document it feels like it's so tangled and intricate but like you said even if the body is found and you don't have all the answers i feel like just the location of the body will untangle a bunch of this and 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 you'll have something where you can have you know at least in for them they'll have a scenario that plays out in their head involving the solution of what happened to their to their father. Yeah, I mean, Nikki even said that directly to me. She was like, listen, all I'm interested in is bringing my dad home. If you have any information, please contact the Grays Harbor Sheriff's Department at 360-249-3711. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Private Investigations for the Missing, because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter, Brianna, disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.